Father, for some of us in the room, uh, God, we haven't heard your voice in a minute. We feel really far away. Today, I pray that you would reveal that you're very near and you've been talking all along. But maybe in ways that we didn't expect, we weren't looking for. God, I pray for the one who feels far off. Uh, God, I pray that they would be reminded of what has brought them near is you. And God, if uh, they haven't come to you, then the reality is that they are far off, but you're very near calling their name with arms wide open. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as we open up your word today. God, would it be illuminated in our lives? And Lord, I pray that as we speak the word, as we talk the word, that it would not just be talk, but it would uh, uh, penetrate to the, the, the dividing of our soul, God, that it would absolutely crush who we are and rebuild who you are. God, I pray that it would produce in us something uh, that translate outward, that it would begin moving outside of ourselves because we know that this is your move. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Speak, amen, amen. Come on now, anybody ready? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's get in this word. Man, if you got your scripture, we're gonna be in uh, Romans 12 still. And you're like, oh, come on now. That's like 10 weeks of Romans 12. That's okay. We're just still setting the stage. And uh, if you've been with us for a minute, the, the title of this message uh, is Love Doesn't Wear a Mask. Love Does Not Wear a Mask. And I want to, let's, let's go down kind of where we've, where we've been. But we've started in Romans 12 and starting in 1 where he says, uh, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the way we think. And he's basically saying, uh, we've got to be transformed from the inside out. Like there's no law that we can set in place for our life and say, do this, do this, do this, and then we are transformed. He's talking about something that actually enters your life and it transforms you from the inside out. And then we begin to operate the transformed life. So don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the way we think. And then verse 2, he tells them uh, not to think more highly of themselves than they ought to. So he's talking to the church and he's talking to people who have come into Christ. And he says, hey, listen, don't, don't forget, y'all are, are in Christ, y'all are important. He gives you favor, but don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Remember who's given you the blessing. And then he steps down into the blessings of the Spirit. And he, he talks about the gifts that we all get. When you receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit actually imparts gifts to you. And then we talked about what it means to be the body. And that's literally what we're, we're called. We're called the body of Christ. And that means, guess what? The full picture of the body is not the guy talking on stage. It's actually all of us together. And when we combine and actually use our gifting together, man, there's like a real tangible manifestation of Jesus. So when people walk in the church, they're meant to get a picture of who Jesus is, not just from a guy on the stage, but from the parking lot to the, to the door, to the children, to everywhere you go, you get a taste of who Jesus is. You get a touch, you get a, you get a, you get a smile. It's like a breath of fresh air. I can't really describe it to you other than like refreshing. You know, when you leave church, you're like, I don't know what that was. I just feel alive, you know? That's what heaven is like. It's meant to be a piece of heaven where you get a picture and get a taste of what it's like to just come alive a little bit more because you got around the full picture of Jesus. And apart from the full picture of Jesus, you actually aren't the full picture of him. We all are together, the church and the globe, like the kingdom church as well. So we have other branches other extensions and we talked about last week we talked about I got this picture y'all notice I kind of limp I, I tore my Achilles if you're if you're brand new and I'm still getting over that but we talked about that parts of the body that nobody ever notices the scripture says is actually sometimes the most crucial 
And I don't know about you, but I never wake up ever, ever in the history of my life saying, God, thank you for my Achilles tendon. You know, like I never even gave it a thought, but now I do. And I promise you, maybe for the rest of my life, I'm going to wake up when I can move my right foot and think, oh God, thank you for my Achilles tendon, you know. But some of those pieces that are, are the most crucial are actually never noticed. And sometimes the greatest temptation is when you're not noticed, we can start saying, hey, nobody notices me. What am I doing here? Does it even matter that I'm a part of this? Does it even matter? Nobody even cares. Nobody would know. And then the one day when my Achilles had been screaming at me for a while, stop, 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 please, we beg you to stop, it finally stopped. And guess what else stopped? My whole body. And so for some of you, maybe you've been hurt, you've been injured by the church, you go, I'm not valuable, I'm not this, I'm not that, I don't have the mic, so I'm not important. That is a lie from hell. It is a lie. And sometimes the greatest honorable part is actually some of the most hidden parts. So the scripture says. And so if you feel hidden um, and, and you're just plugging away, serving the king, and you're serving in the role that you're serving in and nobody notices you, I want to tell you that if nobody notices you, uh, we, we feel you even though we don't think of you. You know, it's kind of like the Achilles. Like, I, don't, I don't think about it until it's hurting, but man, like so, so important. And God has placed you as a part of the body with a specific role with, for a specific time. So from me to you, I just say thanks on behalf of all of us. And uh, it's not our intention to forget you. Just sometimes we think of ourselves more than you. And I'm sorry, really sorry. And that's ourself. So then we press out of the prophecy and the gifts and all of the things that the Spirit uh, imparts to us. And then he steps into directives. So now we're going to get into, okay, what's he calling us into? What's the lifestyle behavior stuff, okay? So let's press into that, verse 9. And let's just start unpacking this a little bit together. Verse 9 says, let love be genuine. This is the undoing piece for me right here. And that word is really, a, it's, it's, it, that, that sentence is really actually a statement. It's more like uh, love must be genuine or love is genuine. And the word genuine is actually where we get our word. And it's the Greek word for the word uh, hypocrite, uh, hypocrisy. Love must be without hypocrisy. Love must be um, without masks. And what he's saying is like love can't exist with an ulterior motive. Let love be genuine. Love must actually be genuine. In other words, love must be something that we uh, display or give away, not expecting anything in return. It's not about us in the slightest. It's actually about all about you giving away. Abhor what is evil. That word abhor is to, is to, like, is to shrink back. It's to almost be, a, it's almost to like be shocked. It's almost, when you, if you ever, uh, maybe remember the first time you saw a scary movie? It was just terrifying because you had never seen it. So your little, little virgin eyes were just like not ready for that. And then when you saw it, it was like, oh, that's what he's talking about. Like you should almost be naive to the point of evil. So when you see it, it's like, oh my God, I can't, I can't even, I can't be a part of this. I must press away from evil. But then he talks about also then hold on to what is good or press in, hold fast to what is good. And that word hold fast is actually something like be glued to. And the other places that it's used in the scriptures uh, to be glued to something, Paul talks about actually, uh, he says, don't be uh, joined to a prostitute. He tells the church, hey, don't join yourselves or don't like become one with. 
And it's actually like a, a sexual use or a sexual term where he says, don't join your life and become one uh, with those things. So Paul is saying, uh, become one or join your life with what is good. And we all know what is good. There is only one, one good. So join your life with what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And some of us got bad home lives, so this is kind of hard. Like, I mean, I actually don't like my brother or my sister. So this, but this is talking about optimal like family operation. Love, your, love, love the people in the church. Love your brothers and sisters like you would your real family, like your actual brothers and sisters. And let me tell you, when, when my brothers and sisters, like when we're on the same page, there ain't nothing they could do. They could call me at any moment and be like, hey, I really need this. And guess who's stepping in? I'm gonna step in no matter what. I'm gonna press in. And so what he's calling the church to is say, hey guys, look at everyone around you just like you would your brothers and sisters. I'm not gonna raise hands, but like, I, I don't know if I ever experienced that. Like, but that's what the church, the, the, the perfect picture of the church that he calls us into is actually to operate like you and me are brother and sister. And so if you need a thing, I'm gonna give everything I can to, to, to bring what you need in your life. That's what he's saying. Love each other with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That means be the first to actually give a score. And you say, wait, what? Yeah, be the first to give an honorable score or report. So most of the time, we're going to give honor when you have done something worthy of honor. So when you're worthy of a good score, like you've put yourself forward first, then we're going to give you a score of honor. We're going to go, oh, oh, honor, because of what you've done. He's saying outdo means to go first. That means to give away honor first before they've earned it. What does this life, what is Paul talking about? Press in for each other and actually you are honored. Not because of what you've done, just honor. Honor each other first. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He gives 13 directives for us. 13 things for us to consider as we press forward into the operation of the church. 13 but you know what I find really interesting is that he actually says almost the exact same thing in 1 Corinthians. I mean, nearly the exact same thing he talks about in 1 Corinthians. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about that the church has a bunch of gifts, and he talks about all the gifts. And it, then he says, um, it, as, he, as he presses in at the end of chapter 12, he says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So we're to press into this, begin to discover, want more for ourselves, want to experience more of the Spirit of God. Press in and earnestly desire the higher gifts. But, he says, I will still show you a more excellent way. What's he about to talk about? He's about to define what the more excellent way is, and he's going to press into what it looks like to actually love. Chapter 13 is the love chapter. Y'all heard it in weddings, preached, you know, you heard that in weddings, talked about. And I think it's highly out of context most of the time. We don't really understand what he's talking about, but it sounds cool. So we go, man, oh, ain't that good? But let's, let's, let's look at what he says. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, 
I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. What in the heck is he saying to these two churches? What he's saying is, here, here's, here's, the, here's the cool picture. When we receive the Spirit of God and we begin to operate in our gifting, guess what I get strong at? Man, I get good at what I'm doing. I get good at good. I get good at proclaiming the word. I get good at prophecy. I get good at those things. And so what began to happen is this elevation where we started to see in the church, uh, based upon what the Spirit did in those people, we started accrediting the people instead of the Spirit of God, saying that person is really something special. That person is really something awesome. And the focal point of these churches began to be, what are you doing and what are you doing? And oh, that person's so impressive and this person's so impressive. And we forgot the fact of what actually started this all in the first place. And the scripture says that the gift is irrevocable. That means, you know how good, you know how good God is, man. I want you to think about this. I, I am so imperfect. Like I'm such a messed up person. And at the heart of me sometimes, you know what I, you know, you know at the heart of me why I love doing what I do? I love the affirmation that you give me, to be honest with you. And the great temptation is for me to all of a sudden begin to posture myself and then use my gifting in a way that is to only get affirmation and not to actually tell you the truth because I know actually what will be hard for you to receive. The great temptation uh, for us in our gifting is to begin using our gifting for ourself and our own glory. Every single one of us, y'all. And it's the same in service when we're, when we're not being seen. And then when we start to feel offended or hurt and we don't, we don't like how they're not noticing me. Well, you know what really started way back here was I actually was serving so that you would notice me. And I was only doing this for, actually, it's all about me. And I don't really care about you. Really, what I care about is me. And you say, gee, that's so harsh. Like, don't, don't, don't. I understand. I really understand. But I must tell you this truth, and I've, I've got to bring the heaviness uh, to, to, for us to actually see and understand what it is that's piling against us. And uh, any good communicator, like when we talk about this, we build the case against ourselves, and then the hero enters the story. So everybody okay? We good? We good? The case is building. We're starting to see. And I want to tell you how this crushes me, because I went and, and I shared um, the personal piece. I went and shared this week to a group of leaders downtown young group of leaders, okay? And I'm telling you, when I have to open up the word, I believe that God makes me live some things that I'm talking about. And uh, I had to talk about race. Praise God, you know? And it's just, I mean, it's heated. Race and divide and gender. I had to talk about what divides us as people to young leaders who all got opinions, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm speaking my piece and I'm opening up the scripture and I'm, I've gone through my whole case and it comes time for questions and this girl, she looks at me and she says, okay, I want to say something. And she said, um, well, I don't know how to say this. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You know, you know, somebody says that, they're like, take a deep breath, prepare yourself. I'm about to get, I'm about to get in this thing, you know? And she goes, 
I guess I'm gonna sleep, I'm gonna sleep good tonight no matter what. So just, I'm just gonna say it. I was like, oh God, <laughs> what did I do? She says, I don't really know what it is. Um, I don't know if it's like how you said it or, or kind of, I don't know if it's, I don't know, she kept like, I don't know if it's you, but I, I don't, I can't receive anything you're saying. And I'm like, what you just said to me was, I don't like you. <laughs> I actually don't like you. I don't, I didn't hear anything you said because I don't like you. You know how that feels? Like in the moment, I'm like, oh, ow. Oh, why do you say that? And you know what God made me live in for this week? Like I had to like really, really, uh, he, he gave me a chance to like look inward. And sometimes the hard things cause us to look inward. And you know what I found about myself? I couldn't understand why I was so hurt. It hurt so bad to be rejected. And you know what I started to realize? That what I was studying uh, was more for me first. Like, it was me. And you know what I was talking for? You know what I, I saw in myself for the first time? In a long time, I was talking to be affirmed. I was talking to be liked. And I was using the scripture to do it. And God showed me, man, that, uh, Jay, you're offended because you've made it about you. I read a cool article, and, and by the way, this, this has been happening from the beginning of time, by the way, so I'm not bringing about like some brand new way of thinking. Uh, Paul actually brings this idea from the story of Amos, Amos 5, what we talked about. Let me, let me read this. He says, hate what is evil and love what is good. That's what Amos said to the nation of Israel. So do you remember what Paul said, right? Hate what is evil and love what is good. Amos was saying this hundreds of years before to the nation of Israel, hate what is evil and love what is good. And establish justice in the gates, is what he says. Take away from me the noise of your song. Please stop singing to me. Stop it. Stop just bringing to me an empty song. Please quit. No more singing. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen, he says. But let justice roll down like water. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What is the mask that we're wearing today? There's two forms that hypocrisy shows itself, and I want to share those with you today. And there's two ways that hypocrisy shows itself. The first way is it has a great care for the outside, but neglects the inside. So I really care what you guys see on the outside, but honestly, on the inside, um, I, I, I will keep to myself, and I'm okay with it being what it is. Like, I got no problem with the inside of me, but the outside looks good because y'all all think it looks good. And on the inside, Jesus talks about this to pastors and Pharisees who are doing really good in front of people. But on the inside, they're actually a broken, open grave with dead bodies inside. That's what he says. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence, meaning it's all about you. Everything is about you. Everything's about you. And you make it look like it's not, but it's all about you. And you open up the word every single Sunday and you read my word, but guess what it's about? You, because you love to be heard in the marketplace by other people and you love the praises that they give you and you love it. 
but I will not hear your song anymore, is what Amos said. The second way that hypocrisy shows itself is we hide our flaws by drawing attention to others' flaws. Luke 6, 42, Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck in your eye, but I've got a massive plank in my own. How can you even do that? But listen to me, I can do it better than any of y'all because I'm armed with the truth. And I know your issue and your issue and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours. And I never, I don't say never, but I rarely bring that back into my own life and say, God, would like a mirror you reveal to me my plank? Because I got a big one. I've got a big plank in my own eye. But he continues and he says, if, if, first take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brothers, then you're actually going to understand how to walk with people and help their life actually be healed. But not until you first see your own issue and can you actually help others in their issues. We've got to see our, ours first. And so that's what I want to reveal to all of us, all of us today, the, the same uh, message that Paul pre he preached to two churches and then Amos said it to the nation of Israel. And listen, if he said it to all those people, what should we hear today? How should, we, how should we consider this message for us today? What is the message for you today? I read, uh, I read a, a, a note from a psychologist, and here's, here's what she said. She said, the vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly over time in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his, her, or her own preferences, attitudes, and the ways of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels are not the assassins of love. Self-justification is. They describe how a fixation on our own righteousness can choke out the life of love. And I believe this is exactly what Paul is talking about to the church because what began to happen is they were gifted people. And they started seeing themselves as gifted people apart from the Spirit of God and stopped blaming the Spirit of God for their success and started blaming self. And then started wearing it as a badge of honor. Because I'm so gifted and I am operating in more giftedness than you, I'm worthy of more honor. And what began to happen is they began to put up the front of love when it really wasn't love, it was all about them. And here's the deal. Do you, do you realize what Paul is saying when he's saying... Uh, if you speak with the voice of angels and yet have not love, you're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. What, is that? what does that mean? If I give my body to be burned and broken, but have not love, I've done nothing? If I give all that I have to the poor and don't have love, am I nothing? I mean, when we read that scripture, do you not kind of question, you go, isn't that, isn't that what love does? I mean, doesn't that justify me? If I did that, would that not make me loving? Paul is actually saying that it's absolutely 
possible for you to do good moral things and be a part of love. It can be all about you as you give away everything that you have. As you give up your body to be burned for others, you can actually do that and revolve totally around you. You're like, then how can I be right? What can I do today? What can I do? What can I do? And some of us, we think about that. What can I do? He gave 13 directives. Maybe we should start there, right? And for those of y'all who think, what should I do? What should I do? We're the same kind of people who drive down the interstate and we, we, we realize, we go, oh yeah, remember that law that, G, that God told us we better be patient, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I better be patient. So we're cruising down the interstate and we're hacked off with so-and-so gr- driving slow in front of me without calling people groups or certain people out, like slow, slow, come on. Oh yeah, be patient. Oh yeah, oh yeah, be patient. So we, we bring ourselves into our uh, morality and we start living by the law. And when, we, when we're being patient, we go, oh yeah, but remember we're supposed to pray always. Okay, oh, yeah, I, better, I better do that. <laughs> okay, God, well, I'll start praying. Well, when we start praying and we, we lose track of, of thought and focus. And then all of a sudden we start thinking about the other things that we need to do. And before you know it, guess what's happening? I'm feeling anxious. Are you feeling anxious? But there's a law against that as well in the scriptures where he says, don't be anxious about a thing, but in everything, bring your request to the Lord with thanksgiving. Better be thankful too. And we start loading all these things up against us and we go, where, where do I start and where do I end, anyone? I can't do this anymore. What is the call to the church? But Paul continues, and here's, here's where it begins to culminate for us, Okay. Chapter 13, verse, verse 7. He says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That means suffers till the end. That means never stop suffering for somebody. That means I'm I'm in it no matter what. That means I'm believing everything the best in you. I'm, I'm hoping the most for you. I expect the best for you. And you go, okay, Jay, thank you. Now I've got my list. I will start doing that. And then I will be justified. But what he's actually saying is, if you've said that today, then you've you've stepped into uh, the death of love in your life. The very first mask. Because at some point you'll be confronted by your failure. And you'll be forced to choose whether you put on the mask of self-perfecting, of uh, putting on the front that I am this for you. And he's saying, guess what? You can't do it at all. What he's describing is the very character and essence of God. And in order to be healed from the inside out and transformed the way we think... We must see that the Spirit of God, this is His character toward you and I. This is the first place. This is where healing steps in. This is where all of a sudden I get energy that flows into the body and I will start operating as a, as a stream of living water. There's something that enters the picture that I couldn't have got on my own strength. When I understand this, that the Spirit of God, this is Him, not me. And He has imparted this to me. God is patient. God is kind. 
God is not arrogant. He's not rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. In fact, he's called every single one of us in here today free will and said, come, please come. I've been calling you all these days. Come, come, come. But he didn't force you in here. He called you in here. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. God doesn't rejoice over wrongdoing. And he rejoices with you in the truth. God bears all things. He believes all things and he hopes everything. He endures all things. That means walks through suffering all the way to the end. And that's exactly what he's done for each one of us as we have not loved at all in the slightest. We have missed the mark of love, my friend. But God has not missed it for you. And here's the healing that takes place in our life is when we realize that it is by unmerited favor that he has bestowed love upon you. It is undeserved. And he is such a good father. What Paul is saying is, what is the power of God? What is this thing? Remember what we talked about in Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Here's the power of God. The power of God in your life is to understand this, that you are not loving, but God has loved you. And then in turn, when we come to him, broken mess and all, and we allow him to love us, and we say, thank you, and I recognize that I am not loving and you are. And every day it's the response. Every day it's the experience. And I receive that. Then guess what begins to happen from the inside out? The power of God begins to blow up the things that look more like me than him. And I promise you, you will not know when you are actually loving. You cannot properly grade it. And if you can and you're trying to grade it, I would dare to say that it might not be love. Because love gives you this honor of forgetting about yourself and he's bestowed upon you perfection, finished, it's done. So now guess what we can do? We can give away his favor to other people and not expect anything in return because I'm not earning anything anymore. I'm not trying to get anywhere. This is the power of God in our life. This is what begins to bring transformation in our hearts and our souls and our minds. So let love be without a mask today. I wanna invite you to take off the mask. I really do. It is freedom for your soul. Would you stop pretending like you got it together and know that you walked into a hospital together? Come on now. We all in triage, y'all. Seriously. And we in it together, man. Like, what a gift to know that you walked into a broken, messed up people, and yet we want to give you away the favor that we're getting from Christ. That causes this thing when you step in, it's live. might say, man, like, Jay, can you talk about something different? Like, anybody got to get there, like, can you just, like, step off, like, I get it, geez, I get it. Would you give us something that we can do so then we can, and I want to tell you, like, there's a great temptation today to come off of Christ, and there's a great temptation today to give you something uh, that feels really good, and it causes us to lose affection for the King today. And I want to bring you back every single week to affection to the one who has loved our soul. And it will be the thing, it will be the thing that actually produces life in your soul. It is the thing. 
It is the dynamite. It is the power of God to save you. And then when you grasp it, when it, we're transformed by it, by the renewing the way we think, guess what begins to happen? We're gonna leave this place and begin to operate a lot more like Jesus. And guess who's gonna experience Jesus outside this place? But not because you gave them a bunch of laws to operate by, but because you showed them the spirit of the living God. And he was alive in you. That's why we sing about the King and we're thankful. Right where you are, maybe uh, today, so we're about to sing a song about the cross. I pray that we bring, we're, we're brought into the fresh encounter of the cross today, that we have not loved and yet he loved us. Maybe you've been earning it, you're worn out and you're tired and you feel broken and beaten and other people have accused you or misused you. Would you step back for a second and understand that God has loved you so much and he proved it on a cross. And every single day you wake up, he has endured with you, he's walked with you, even when every single one of us have missed it at a time or another. He's loved you, friend. And he's with you not because you're gifted. He's with you because of a cross. And today, if you carry with yourself uh, the package of brokenness and sin. I, I pray that you come to the cross today. I pray that you come with your self-justification and all that makes you right apart from the cross. And you see that as death to your soul. Would you bring it to the cross today? And would you give it to the King of Kings who says, I can handle that. You can handle it. I can handle it. Put it up here. Nail it here. Watch it get nailed there. Everything that isn't justification other than Jesus, everything, even your good stuff, nail it up there because it's, it's part of the darkness. Give it to him. Let it go. And then hear him as he speaks to you. I will bear it for you. And in turn, I give you a blessing. I say, I love you. I'm with you. I will conquer this for you. I will be that love for you. And now, in the place of freedom, we're gonna pick up a cross and we're gonna say, let's go. Let's follow the King who saved our soul. Right where you are, would you stand up today? We're going to sing this song remembering the cross today. If you need to, you need prayer today. If you need Jesus today, I'm going to pray for you right now.